This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, you won billion percent want to have a pen and paper handy, or you might even want to listen to this episode more than once. Like if you listen to it when you drive or going for a walk or a run, and then come back and listen to it again, when you can write stuff down, because there is just a jam packed conversation that I had with the amazing Travis Brown with so many wonderful nuggets of what he's doing for himself, how he's leading his company. He is the founder and CEO of Mojo Up Marketing. And they are just the epitome of a diverse and talented and human workplace. And they are doing amazing things to help people show up as their authentic selves and really building an entire culture around it. And we just had such a fabulous conversation. And so before I get into one little thing you're gonna wanna for sure hear If you haven't already yet, please make sure you go to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and review and rate the episodes, particularly this one. It means a lot. It really, really does make a difference. And so I will give you one little tidbit that you're going to want to make sure you listen to closely. Wait till you hear how Travis has implemented four nope days per year. That's all I'm going to tell you. You're going to have to listen and find out what they are. Would love to hear which nuggets of wisdom were the most impactful for you. Sit back and enjoy. So Travis, we are going to jump right in because although people can't see this, you have this amazing quote behind you that we just have to start with that says, the most important thing is to try and inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they want to do, which is a Kobe Bryant quote. And when you and I first met, you talked about being passionate that people recognize that they are good enough the way they are and can achieve things they never thought possible. So everything about that just lights me up. And I want you to share a little bit about your journey and how you got to this space and what you're doing with it. Well, thanks, Dr. Rosie. There's a lot to unpack right there, but I'm going to jump right in. I spent most of my life whether it was as an adolescent, even as a teenager with sports and in my college years, professional world, just trying to inspire people to be amazing. A lot of that was through teamwork. And then I had to transition that into my professional world. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant guy. I loved his passion. I loved his commitment. I just loved how much he loved to be great. What I try to do is say, how can I help other people be great? And as a motivational speaker, that's what I was trying to do. And then the funny thing I learned was that people really struggled with their own value of feeling like they were good enough. I can do it. Like it's me, you know, little old me, you know? And so I just want people to really believe in themselves and know that God made them so amazing that there's so much they can do to win in this game of life and whatever I can do to contribute to that. That's who I am. I just love that. And I will tell you that I coach people of all shapes and sizes, leaders, and I don't care how successful they are. It is amazing how much there is this core part of being human that runs across so many of us where we don't think we're good enough just as we are, right? We have those shame triggers that tell us that we have to hustle for our worth and we have to prove ourselves. And I love that you want to inspire people to be amazing and we're okay just as we are now. And we can keep working to be 
a better version of ourselves. We don't have to get to some destination before we have worth and value. I think so many of us have spent time listening to other people dog us out or attack us or tell us why we're we're too short, we're too fat, we're too dumb, we're not quick enough, fast enough, we're not we don't learn, we're not smart enough. And so that takes a toll on us. And that comes to a point where whether it's in your personal relationships with your spouses, whether it's in your friends or in your profession, then all of a sudden you're not supposed to let all those doubts, fears, and misconceptions creep in. And that's what's challenging for all of us. Whether it's in any of those areas, trying to believe in yourself is a lot more difficult than people think. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So one of the things that, there's many things that I, I love about you and the work you're doing. And when I think about so many of us that don't show up as our authentic self, or we don't know what that is, or we don't believe we're good enough. And then now you put a bunch of us together who are trying to hide our inadequacies or self-protect or armor up. And now we're in a team or we're in a workplace. And you just think about what happens and how you end up with communication issues and disconnection and inability to innovate and inability to have totally in places of inclusive and belonging and the list goes on and on. So talk to me about how this idea of inspiring people to be amazing is showing up in the workplace for you and what you've done at Mojo Up. I'm the founder and CEO of Mojo Up Marketing and Media, and we're a, a group of marketers who are super diverse and talented, but we love to build market brands. And so to do that, especially from that creativeness, I believe that we got to be able to show up as ourselves. Now, I think every job should have that. In our world, just the creativity just requires that. And when you're trying to hire and inspire creatives, I promise you, them being able to be authentic is huge. So my methodology has always been the same, like leaders go first. And so my team's not going to be transparent. They're not going to feel comfortable being their authentic self if I'm not willing to be. We come in and people can't see me, whether it's wearing a baseball cap and my Jordans almost every single day, like, hey, we can still do great work like this. Or whether it's me talking about the mental health you know, struggle that I have faced and the marriage counseling that my wife and I have gone and go, go through. And I always teach people this and say, listen, we're trying our hardest to be you know, married and great couple. And I'm trying to be my great self, but I couldn't do it by myself. And that's okay. You know, there are very well-trained professionals that can help you unpack who you are and what you're thinking and what you're dealing with to tap into that self. But our culture is kind of built here to say, okay, let's bring you know who you are to work and let's go do some great, amazing things. I love it. In fact, the way you described it to me when we first met was that you've really built this culture around people being their authentic self. And I just think how amazing is that? And so many people don't have a workplace that they can do that. And I love your approach of going first, because I do think we have to model the vulnerability that yes. we want others and destigmatizing, like destigmatizing mental health or destigmatizing that we're not meant to do this alone. And we need help sometimes, whether it's from a colleague or a professional or whatever. So talk to me about some of the deliberate practices that you've kind of built into day-to-day operations that help nurture that culture of authentic self. I've been able to have a camera in my face for a lot of my life, speaking, training, now doing videos and marketing. And even just in our team, seeing me share those things. I'll tell you a quick story. When I met my wife, I was speaking at her school, What she really, she reached out to me afterwards and kind of tracked me, tracked me down, stalked me, the way I tell the story. 
you had a stalker. You had a stalker. Yeah, yeah, I had one, right? And here's the cool thing about it was, you know, what she said was, I was just really trying to figure out, were you the per- same person off stage as you were on stage? And I think that's a, a testament, at least in my world, as a speaker, as a CEO, as an owner is, can our people look at me and say, he's not a compartmentalized boss CEO. Like the dude actually does the things that he says. And so you know, we've had some tough times that have happened realistically at our company where that was put to test, whether it was health conditions, child situations where we had to say, hey, your family is actually first and we understand that or your personal health is actually uh, first. One of the new things that we did, we I stole it from somebody that had something similar, but we started where we give our team for what we call nope days a year where like we all have it, right? You just get up and you roll out of bed one day and you're like, nope, I can't do it for <laughs> Not happening. Not happening. And, and you know what? For anybody that's listening that you're an owner, you're a CEO, you're running an organization, like that's hard to wrap your head around being okay with that. But once you realize that if people come in, yeah, they can force it. They can punch a clock. You can try to get them to grind it out. But that's where we have to work through understanding people and their mental capacity and try to pour into that. And so when you say to people like, hey, I get it. I had an employee today, like two days in a row, sick kid at home. It's like, hey, take care of yourself. Then you'll figure out work next. And just knowing that's just a part of the culture of what we're trying to build here, where we want people to love coming to work because it's a get to job, not a have to job. That's so fantastic. And one of the things that we teach in some of our leadership and team workshops is is not rocket science, but we we build off of conscious leadership group and talk about like being above the line or below the line and using that as a communication, like checking in, like, Hey, how are you doing today? Like thumbs up. I'm above the line or I'm riding the line, you know, flat hand or below the line. And not as an excuse to be a jerk to people, but if you don't even want to have to get into why just saying, Hey, I'm struggling today, or Hey, I'm on the struggle bus today or whatever language you want to use. And what we teach people is that if you cannot find enough trampolines to get you back above the line, like you've tried out all the things that reset and boost you, what do you need to do to be below the line in a bubble that day so you don't like infect other people around you? And what I love about what you're doing is it might be like, you know, I've tried everything and this is like one of those days that I'm not good to anyone or the world and I need to just like take care of me. Nope. <laughs> and, yeah. and you don't have to get into why it's a nope day. You certainly could share more if you want to, but I love that you're doing that because how often do we push through when we're exhausted? And if we look back, we probably did not have the best interactions. We probably were not making the best decisions. We were not showing up for the people who count on us in a way that matters. And so being able to, yeah, just destigmatize not in me today is fantastic. I think one of the challenges is that like I'm 45 going on 46 this month. And so of the generation that I was raised in, it was the suck it up, go do it culture. Right. And there is some value to that. Right. And I think maybe where some of our millennials or younger kids get the bad rap today is they don't suck it up enough. Right. And there is a balance there where it's like, yes, you may have unlimited PTO at a company, but that doesn't mean you can take off 364 days and still get paid. Right. There's a real balance there. I think the challenge for me and another story is my my nine year old daughter fractured her wrist. And, but we were still trying to do some basketball workouts or this morning at 630. And she was kind of fussing about it. I'm like, hey, listen. I don't know how bad you're hurt. So you do. So you have to decide what you can do. You have to decide how hard you can go. I can't. I don't know where that limit is for you. 
And I think that's the same methodology that we all have to understand about our day-to-day individually, but also as employers is to have enough communication to say, I don't know what you can do. I don't know where that button is, a threshold that you just can't do it anymore. And so you have to tap out for the day. And so, but giving people the room to feel like if they do that, when they do raise their hand, when they do say no, that there's not a backlash, there's not some negativity that's coming behind that. I think that's essential for leaders that they can't just say it, they got to be willing to do it. So that gets me into a question I would love you to speak more to is easier said than done, right? Like how do you, what do you think is the most effective way for leaders to go first and show their human side when maybe they were raised to suck it up? Maybe they were raised to believe that vulnerability is a weakness. Or I was coaching a leader this morning who said, I was raised that like, you don't show weakness, you have all the answers. And he's like trying to relearn leadership in this day and age of no, like you actually push people off when you show up that way and righteous and controlling. What have you experienced either for yourself or what are you doing to create that culture? Because it is easier said than done because it's messy and it's uncomfortable. Well, one of my first speaker coaches told me when I was learning how to become a professional speaker is that the more vulnerable you are, the more engaged people will be. And I had this idea as as a speaker, like, hey, I got to stand on the stage and present this level of perfection so people will trust me and want to work with me from a coaching or consulting. And what I learned is it's just the opposite. And so for every leader leading a group of people, whether it's two people or 200, the same thing runs true is that you have to be willing to say, listen, the way I grew up, like you worked every single day, you didn't call off, you didn't take your vacation because like that was frowned upon. And that was just part of how we did it. But you know what? I'm trying to relearn, rethink or figure out how to do it differently. And I'm struggling with that. So I want you guys to know I'm that's how leaders have to be able to communicate And that's just an easy way to be authentic, right? Share your frustration that you're experiencing. Share your insecurity, your failure. Talking people through your failure is one of the most important things that you could do. And I think when people get comfortable with saying, listen, I failed, right? That's not a disease. That's not COVID. It's like, no, it's okay to say I failed. And then people start realizing, okay, you're human and you can fail. And they feel more comfortable. But what you have to do in your environment is you got to give people space to figure that out at their pace. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm a high D on the disc profile. So I want everything already happened already. So it's about patience for me and trying to be a little bit more patient with people. But here's also an important one, uh, Dr. Rosie, is that I had to learn how to be patient with myself, with the mistakes and the issues that I was having on my own leadership journey. I love that. I'm 100% yellow or 100% I on the disc and I'm like 90% red. I'll tell you when I'm stressed, the red like goes to a thousand percent. (laughs) Right. And in fact, I write about this in our book. I'm like, when I get stressed, when I get triggered, when I armor up, I get into hyper productive, push through pain in the ass, get shit done. And it disconnects me from everybody and inpatient perfection, nitpicky. Right. And so, so I can hundred percent appreciate that. And the other thing that you said that really, I think is worth revisiting or emphasizing is that failure is normal. So I love like Kristen Hadid has been on this journey to normalize, you know, screwing up and, and you know, that we have to look at, it's not a failure. It's a learning, it's growth. It's a misstep. Like we learn more from the missteps than we do from the things that go well. And one of the 
I saw it on LinkedIn from Amy Edmondson several months ago and started doing this with my team is in the spirit of creating psychological safety, they call it F up Fridays. And everyone shares, what is your biggest F up? And you celebrate it from the week to try to normalize. And so that just made me think of that. How can we start normalizing? Because you can't see it, people, but Travis is doing the fist pump. Because I'm doing that tomorrow. Like, I promise you, we will have that in tomorrow. He's writing it down. We're going to do F up Fridays or whatever, or whatever, figure it out. But yeah, if you think about it, and if you just look stereotypically, but if you look at millennials and Gen Zs, that generation there's lacking in resiliency because there hasn't been the it's okay to fail or not the opportunities to fail. And so I've been thinking about this like with my son, he's 11 and it's trying to help him build that failing is okay, what'd you learn? And Mm -hmm. that didn't go so well, get it, it stinks. Let's talk about what'd you learn and really trying to build that growth mindset and help them build resiliency because I get calls all the time to go do workshops. Can you help our people be resilient? It's amazing how much that bounce factor is missing because we've I don't know, stigmatized messing up. I love that because in the F up Fridays, I think I'm going to institute this as our team, but, but we're going to come right back and say, what did you learn? And I think the resiliency that we're, the lack of resiliency, I think that we're seeing in people is a lack of, it's a leadership issue. We want to blame all of our kids and the way kids are, but shit, we raised them, right? Like we created this. And so it's our job to quote unquote, fix this, whatever that means. But I think in that resiliency, it's like, hey, this goes back to good enough and being able to say, listen, even with my own kids, I think about this. Listen, I don't care how good a basketball player you are, how good a student you are. I love you. And there's nothing that you're going to do to change that. Right. And so failure is a part of that. In our our corporate environments, like if your people are afraid to fail because of how that impacts how we talk about them, their job, their performance, like we're like fail fast. Like one of our core values inside of that is like we are biased towards action and we understand with action, taking fast action, making decisions will come failure, but we would rather have that. So what we do is we reward that, we recognize that, and uh, we applaud that quick action, even if it's met with failure, because it's important to us. I think that's what you have to really evaluate as you're building a company or culture or your family is... Are we allowed the space to fail and learn from it on the road to get better? I love that. I don't know why this just popped in my head, but the other day I was driving around in my car and I think it was the Pitbull station was on and, you know, I'm like wisdom from Pitbull. He said, fear, fear can either be fear everything and run or face everything and rise. And I was like, you go Pitbull. (laughs) 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 And I was like, Right. So, but that's the reason like face it and you know, you're going to fall down and you're going to rise. And the other thing that's coming up from when you think about this is there is this thing called the Stockdale paradox that is about gritty, gritty faith and gritty facts. And it's, I think as leaders and really as human beings, we can be authentic and say, Hey, I don't have the answers or, Hey, I'm working on this too, or Hey, I'm struggling. And, and we can also at the same time, exude like that faith. And so it's, I'm not ignoring that things are hard or this isn't going well, or we're going to lose this account or this thing is failing. And it's how do we model, but I have faith that we're going to get through this and we're going to learn from this. And this is going to be a stepping stone for how we get better. And calm is contagious. People will feed off that. If you run around with this anxious energy and reactivity, people will respond in kind. If you walk around with gritty faith and gritty facts and this calm of, okay, that didn't go well, but let's talk through this. That's also contagious. And 
one of the people on my team, we were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago. There was something we were working on from a business standpoint and it wasn't going the way we wanted. And she put such heart into her work and I love her for it. And I just said, listen, and I'm like, this is part of being a business owner. Sometimes we do things and they work. Sometimes we do things and they don't. I'm not worried because even this financial implication, we're going to be okay, right? So it's kind of reminding of, yep, this is the reality and fact check your story. It's not the end of the world. I love that you entered in this conversation, the and. I think what many of us have grown up and just really take as a rule of thumb is or. It's like, I have to be this or this versus you can put an and in there. Like, you listen, you can be worried and work to solve something. My son, who's uh, six and he still gets scared at night sometimes, we're like, hey, listen, like, listen, you can be scared and brave at the same time. Just looking at those things and figuring out what does that mean to you? And I think here's a lesson that I always try to share with other leaders is like, if we know people are dealing with that, my question is, is how are you dealing with that? And then how can you be vulnerable about your experience of failure, your experience of, I have no idea how that happened, or hey, I took this job. And I didn't know everything about the job. And I worked through it and got to where I needed to go. There's just so many things I think that, you know, we look at our employees, we look at team members and we're frustrated, but we won't raise the hand as leaders and say, I've got to go first. I've got to be the one to not just do all the stuff, but be vulnerable to teach from my own failure. I think that's just such a huge lesson. Absolutely. I was having this conversation with one of my team members just before this, actually. And when something hasn't gone well, let's say it's an interaction or whatever, I think so often we might look at that, go, oh, that didn't go well. And then we just kind of want to keep moving on. And I think one of the things we don't use well enough in personal and professional life is circling back. Get yourself to a place of neutral before you respond. Get yourself to a place of calm and then say, hey, I'd like to circle back on that conversation, whatever we had two weeks ago, yesterday, a week ago, because there's some things I think we need to clean up. And I need to own some of the things that I was being, but also because otherwise what happens is we move forward and we're like, oh, we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. But then what happens is there's like the elephant in the room, the armor goes on, the guards go up, and you never quite get to a place, right, where you can have that true authentic connection because everyone's guarded or they're running a script off, oh, last time that happened. And, but it's like, talk about being afraid. People are so afraid to go back and clean up messes, but it's so brave to go do that. One of the things we go to weddings, you know, people are always like, what's the best advice that somebody's ever given you in your marriage? Or what, what's the best advice that you can give? And I always go to the, people always say, never go to sleep mad. I'm like, listen, in my opinion, that's terrible advice. Absolutely terrible advice. Because once you learn who you are and your spouse is, in this case, my wife, what we've learned over the years is like, we, we'll just go back and forth and argue this all night long and stay up for four hours, not get anywhere. We've learned to be able to go to bed. Yes, mad. Go to work the next day, process everything. And then when we're in the right frame of reference to be able to say, dang, I missed that. The way that came off, hey, and just unpack it and deal with that. And that's part of being able to handle conflict. And I will admit my biggest issues in that moment, like I need to sever that and then step away and then come back so that I'm not overbearing or I don't blow up a bridge or anything in the wrong way. But I think that is so right that we have to be able to come back at some point and address that, whether it's in a work, family, kids scenario to do that. But again, I think leaders, it comes from us. It starts from us being willing to do that first. Absolutely. And 
it's counter to that old mentality of, of pushing through, but it's funny because as you're saying that I literally in every workshop, when we're talking about, when we're talking about being self-aware and whatever we talk about, like when you know you're in that below the line space or you're emotionally hijacked, that is not a time to keep pushing through a conversation because what happens is literally the higher level brain functioning has shut down and we're like in that amygdala and we're in that fight flight mode and we're too attached to being right that we couldn't even find a middle ground if we tried to. And so honestly, one of the most, I think, courageous and self-aware and compassionate things we can do, whether it's personally or professionally, when we notice that is we put the conversation a timeout and say, you know what? I'm not in a good spot and I can't continue. And someone who wants to just keep pushing, like, no, this isn't going to be productive, right? And then, but then you're right, you have to circle back afterwards. You don't want to push through because what's going to happen is there's going to be all kinds of unpleasantness and that's being nice, probably even downright nastiness that you're going to have to try to clean up later that you may or may not be able to clean up very effectively. I don't think we do that enough is recognizing when our emotions are exceeding the moment, when we are hijacked, there's a saying that we have when we're teaching conflict resolution is, okay, here's a mantra, is being right more important than the quality of this relationship, right? Or is being right more important than an effective outcome? Because when we're attached to being right, nothing good's going to come of it. I would tell people myself and, and just even looking introspectively, like that's an issue for me, right? What I've landed on the fact that I'm right. Like I'm trying to go to so many ends degree to defend that. And here's why. I learned this in our counseling everybody has this attachment cycle. And part of my attachment cycle is not being good enough. And what that means to, for me personally is that when somebody says you're not right, and if I've made a mistake, then that challenges my ability to be good enough. And so then I get into that cycle of not being good enough, not being good enough. And so I go to that extremes. And what the most valuable thing I think I learned in counseling, which I don't always do it very well, but was, hold on a second, are you getting in your cycle? because of this not good enough? And can you step out of that because you can recognize it and handle the situation differently? I had that situation happen earlier today, did not handle it. And I have some cleaning up to do now because I didn't recognize it. Even though, in my opinion, I was still right. Now I got damage control that I got to go do because of, and I do value the relationship and I do want it to be better. And so I think that's just the lessons of that. And being willing to take the situation, when, I, when we do our F up Friday, I'm going to be talking about the situation that I had today that I completely let get away from me because of that thing right there. I think that's what I've been trying to communicate with our people and even on this podcast today is we still have to have the ability to be vulnerable, transparent of how you messed it up, and then talk about what steps that you took that you can control to solve it and to the best of your ability. I think that's a really good tie-in to the work that you're doing at Mojo Up about creating this culture of listening to people who are different than us, because you want to talk about where those buttons get pushed when we want to double down on our rightness. It's people who are different than us. And so you have this amazing campaign going on, talking about diverse and talented and really looking at listening. Can you say more about what you're doing? Because I think there's a lot of wisdom there that people could take for themselves. Yeah, we launched our 2022 campaign called Diverse and or Plus Sign and Talented. Because we feel like there's a lot of conversation around DEI and equity work, but a lot of times it's framed with the narrative that it's either diverse or talented, not diverse, as we talked about earlier, and talented. And so I wanted to show the world that we have an organization. Yes, we're small, 12 people as a marketing agency here in Indiana, but I wanted to show them that we have this diversity from a racial diversity, 
one, we're a Black-owned company. Two, we have a tremendous amount of diversity in our males. But then we also have a female to male diversity ratio. We have 21-year-old and we have a 50-something-year-old. And, and so we have this a poverty background versus wealth background. And, and then we have educational background. So we have all these things that have made our team so different, which in our industry is not really the norm. Our industry is a very pro-white dominated industry with very little diversity. And so we're just saying, hey, if, if you want somebody that can really represent your brand and think from so many different perspectives, then we feel like we can do that better for clients than somebody that maybe doesn't have type of diversity that we have. And so we're really proud of that. We're proud of the way that we hire. We're proud of the way that we build culture. And we want to be contagious, not for just for our clients and the work we do, but for other companies around us as well. Well, yeah, it's like when you lead by example and and set the tone and it makes a huge difference. And so many forward thinking leaders will say, people who say, oh, the customer is first. Well, no, really, if you take care of your people, it comes through with your customers. And you think in this day and age of whatever term you want to throw at it, the turnover tsunami or the great resignation or the great reshuffle or whatever, you know, when people are really, it matters. People are paying attention to where do you stand? as an organization on social issues, right? The social enterprise, where Mm -hmm. do you stand on human rights and human issues? And how do you treat your people? And I was just talking to one of my girlfriends. She's a woman of color the other day, and she was having some BS at work. And she was like, is this less than if I like go back to my previous job, like in the same organization, she took a ladder, like a, a transfer within that was a promotion. So yeah, more money and a better title and could tell within a week, crappy work culture, crappy leadership. And So we were just having this back and forth. I'm like, it's not less than. I'm like, culture is everything. And no, no one would think twice about it. And I'm like, you're taking care of yourself and you're also setting a message and a boundary of you don't get to treat me this way. And just as a human being, let alone a woman of color, like, no, you don't get to treat me this way. No, thank you. And she's like, oh, thank you. I needed to hear that. And I'm like, well, you didn't need me to tell you that because you're amazing. But (laughs) there you go. Life's too short. Like we, people don't want to work for bad bosses, but they also don't want to work for companies that aren't intentional. Like the day of not paying attention to your culture, the day of not treating your people like human beings, there's still work to be done or we wouldn't be in business, but they're getting fewer and far between. And more and more companies are starting to realize, holy crap, we haven't paid attention to this. Now we have to. And when I'm like, great, you're waking up. Awesome. Let us help you. (laughs) So I think you're just setting such a great tone. And part of one of the things that we, that we always say here is that, I mean, when you come to work at Mojo Up, either this is where you're going to retire or it's a stepping stone. And we really embrace the fact that what I hope for is that as the stepping stone, a place, right, is that people then take the things that we've done here, what I've taught people, my vulnerability, our culture, and when they take that next step, whatever that might be, then they're carrying some of that mojo with them. Right. And it started because I had an opportunity to inspire people to achieve things that maybe they didn't previously think possible in a way they didn't think was possible. And now that's how we start to impact leaders and leaders and leaders. And so that's one of our big things here is like, hey, if it's a stepping stone, like when you go take that next journey, I want you taking that journey head on. Like, man, this is what I learned at Mojo Up. And here's what we did here. And your references are around how we created a great culture. And we have a lot of work to do ourselves. We're small and some of our people are, are overworked and, and some of them are even underpaid. So we're working on, yes, trying to balance that workout, trying to make sure everybody is paid, make sure people have the right ground and, 
they have the right mentorship and they have all the right development. And so we're looking at the, our benefit package from a lot more than just money and insurance, right? There's so many other things to that. And I think the number one thing, this comes from my background, is just development. We're just trying to develop people, like we said, so that they can go be the great people that they know that they can be. And at the end of the day, if we do that, then we know that we're winning. Yeah, there. I love that. There was a one of those little memes or whatever that's gone around on LinkedIn for years. And it's something like the CFO says, well, what if we develop these people and they leave? And the CEO says, well, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> right, right. I think that's such a powerful thing, right? It's, you got to pour into them. And I'll give you my, my last little leadership tip that I used to say when I was specifically on the road training leaders is that is at the end of the day, what you have to really be willing to understand is if you go first, you will get hurt. Somebody will lie. Somebody's going to cheat. Somebody's going to do something. If you're a leader, I promise you that will happen. But the other alternative is to not do it, to not make the impact, to not share the story, to not do that. And as a leader, you have to decide what you're willing to do and what you're not willing. Absolutely. And you miss out on so much when you shrink, right? And kind of hold back or, or whatnot. So I one, I'm so appreciative of just how authentically you've been sharing. You've kind of shared a little bit of this, but this is a question I ask all of my guests in the spirit of normalizing humanity and that even people, nobody has it all figured out. And even people who are successful get in their own way. So when you're having that mindset, it's not just you. So Travis, what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes and how do you move beyond it when it shows up so that you can still show up as a leader in your life? I'm in the phase of building a company and we have so many amazing things that are happening coming down the pipeline. But there's still the inside of me, and I don't want to call it imposter syndrome as people do, but there's still the part on the inside of me that's like, when is this going to just blow up and all go away? Like, when is the bad break coming? When is the, it never works out the way that it's supposed to? When is the sky actually going to fall, right? And so my daily battle is right there. It's like, man, yes, we got great things happening. We're getting the recognition, working all these companies. It's like, but when's it falling? Like, when's the bad blow coming? And so my day-to-day is really just trying to work through, like, there's a blow coming. And not that we haven't been taking them. We just got a, our payroll company just called and said they, the last three months, they forgot to take out the tax, the employer tax match for all of our people. And I got a $40,000 bill coming because they messed it up. It's a national service, right? That was a blow. And when I first heard that, the first thing I thought was, okay, here it comes. That self-limiting doubt. Going back to the same thing I, I said that I was working to help other people fix, which is believing that they're good enough. Me being willing to accept the success that we're having. And I think the way that people have to understand this is that until you give yourself permission to succeed, there will always be a ceiling. Well, it's waiting for the other shoe to drop. And what's so interesting as you say that is that we've been talking about vulnerability and Brene Brown always says that the most vulnerable emotion we can experience is joy. And how often do we forebode joy? We wait for the other shoe to drop because it's too scary to let ourselves. And so what she's found in her research is the most courageous, connected, wholehearted people have an active gratitude practice. So when they feel that foreboding joy, when they feel that waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I get there with you. It's like, oh gosh, okay, this is going to screw up, have a plan B. And it's wise to have a continuity plan. It's wise to have a plan B. But if you spend too much time ruminating on it, 
you don't, you miss the opportunities to be in that moment. And so the most joyful among us are, yes, also the most heartbroken, but the most joyful among us are also the most grateful. No, I think that there's a guy, uh, John Gordon, author of the Energy Bus, once uh, talked about doing a, a daily thank you walk. And it's something I've done in the past. I have it. And I wrote that down right now, gratitude, because that thank you walk, just walking around the block or walking outside to you, whatever it is, and then just doing that whole, here's what I'm thankful for. Here's what I'm appreciative for. Anybody that has kids know that at some point in time, you feel like your kids are never appreciative for all the shit that you do and give and buy and all that. Oh my God, we have that conversation on a daily basis. Like, okay, seriously, <laughs> like you, you need to not be entitled. You need to show appreciation. <laughs> and I think going back to the same thing that I started with and have kind of mentioned, that's still a leadership issue for me and our family. Like, all right, so my wife and I, we need to do a better job of verbally being grateful for all the little things that we have so our kids can then see that more and then we can model that for them. And I think at a thank you walk, a gratitude journal and working through that process, I, Dr. Rose, that's tough right there. I thank you for uh, sharing that because I'm walking away. I'm supposed to be on here to give nuggets and I'm walking away with, <laughs> with three of them. I'm doing f Up Fridays. I'm doing some more research on, on gritty facts and faith and uh, gratitude. So Thank you for what you broke it down for me too. I love it. It's mutuality. Well, I'll give you one more. I do this individually with my coaching clients, and then I encourage them to do it in their one-on-ones and their team meetings. And we do this as a family for our dinner conversations. And basically it's the, what went well for you today? What are you grateful for today? So it's, it's speaking that. And then going back to like the F up Fridays, we say, what detours and missteps are you grateful for today? So we also try to teach gratitude in the missteps, like, cause what learnings did it bring or what did you learn about yourself? So rather than just what went well, what didn't, it's very intentional of what are you grateful for? And then the things that didn't go your way, what'd you learn about yourself and what do you, what learnings are you grateful for? So there you go. You could try that with your kids, see if that helps <laughs> and your team. <laughs> well, we do with our teams, we do a daily huddle and the daily huddle is what was your win from yesterday? Cause that's been such an important piece to, to get people to see. We do it as a team. Because I want everybody to see that everybody has a win. And people in the beginning are like, well, what is, I didn't have it. No, you had one. So let's go find it. What did we win? You know, I also think adding to that, what do you win and what are you grateful for? Awesome. All right. Are you ready for our quick questions? Let's roll. All right. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is. Purposeful. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Chop wood, carry water, which is the consistency by which you have to operate to get to success. Love that. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? That I'm very emotional watching Disney movies with my kids. (laughs) Is there one that makes you particularly tearful? Every Disney movie has a, a mom that's not existent and a dad that's there and a kid that's triumphing. So all of them. I'm always like tearing up. My wife's looking at me like, it's sappy, but come on, you're all right. (laughs) Then you go, we don't talk about Bruno, but that wasn't Disney, but that's okay. It's okay. What is your favorite go-to movie? Gladiator. I love Gladiator. Again, I love the adversity, the family aspect of it, the fact that he has to push through and how he impacts other people in the worst of situations that are in, as he's in the worst of situations when he doesn't have to do it but he inspires people to be their own level of great. Love it. That's such a good movie. All right. What's your go-to song? 
started from the bottom now we're here so it's a drake song that says started from the bottom now we're here or the second one is i got a quote up here from nipsey hustle the late nipsey hustle it says all my life been grinding all my life sacrificed hustled and paid the price two songs bam love it all right what's something and i say something lightly because it doesn't have to be a thing what's something you can't live without something i can't live without i mean i'd have to take the the one now that i probably just have to say in general my phone i have a daughter that's in college so man we're you know we're facetiming and we're connecting trying to stay connected during the day when i'm at work with my wife and and then the other big one reason why my phone is because i have fifty-two thousand photos in my phone holy moly and so every day facebook does a good job of showing your memories but i get to see all these memories of my kids you know, I have three, a, a six, a six, nine, and, and a 20. And so like just seeing those memories, like I take so many pictures and videos, couldn't live without it. I love that. I love that. What's something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Seeing my kids laugh. Actually, my wife and kids laugh because my wife is not a big laugher either. And so every time you see them just smile and laugh, it just, just gives you a little bit of joy. And Last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? I'm grateful right now that America is at a point in our history that we're open and receptive to diversity like we've never been before. And you know, this has a special meaning for me because I've been in the corporate sector for so many years where I was always the only at the table. And now there's opportunities where I'm not always the only. And so I'm just super grateful for that. Yeah. Representation matters a hundred percent. So Travis, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? It's such an easy question for me. It's being willing to share and embrace their own failures. And man, if we could get leaders to be willing to feel confident sharing how they've failed that people would feel more comfortable sharing how they feel, then we can embrace that so that we can move past failure being the issue, not, as you said earlier, what did I learn from it and how do I get better from it? I love that. That's like a mic drop moment. So Travis, I could talk to you all day. I Hopefully there's many more conversations, but just thank you for the example you're studying in the world. Thank you for the message you're putting out in the world. Thank you for the nuggets you gave me. And just, this has been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed this. And I just want to say, Every day is a work in progress. Like some of these things that we do as a company well, some of these things that I do personally well, and some of them we F up and we have to fix and make better. And so I think the progressive mindset to always get better, man, we're just, we're in pursuit of that. And, and it brings you actual joy when you realize that you're in pursuit of the, and enjoy the process and it's not really the destination. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and of course, hit that follow button.